Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hey everybody, how are you feeling? Do you feel like a fully functioning human woman? Or do you feel like a collapsed sofa? <laughs> if the stuffing has been knocked out of you by, well, everything, it might be time to talk about the gut microbiome. Go on, let's. I know it's not sexy repartee, but it's a conversation worth having because it affects, well, everything. Bear with me briefly. Your gut microbiome is a vast ecosystem with bacteria as diverse as the Amazon rainforest. They break down food and help your body to detoxify. They support the immune system. They can affect energy and weight as well as mental health. But along with all the bacteria lurk yeasts, fungi and viruses, good guys and bad guys. And research has now shown that the composition of the gut microbiome can change with dietary intervention, stress levels and quality of sleep. Scientists are increasingly treating the gut as its own organ, which is why we are delighted that this podcast is brought to you by Simprove again. Let me tell you a story. Long before Simprove approached us to sponsor the podcast, I had started swigging it every morning and felt a difference within weeks. It's a water-based supplement that carries live and active bacteria that can endure the incredible journey from mouth to gut in order to start to multiply and produce food for the bugs we already have. Don't even get me started on the gut-brain connection. Now, I've now been using it for six months and I can't get enough of the stuff. Hair, mood, skin, digestion, it's all happening more as it should, as it used to. Mm. Everybody who knows about this stuff knows that Simprove is the best of its kind. You can sign up for a 12-week introductory programme and here's your code for a 15% discount, midult 15 at simprove.com. Simprove, follow your gut feeling. Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but last night I fell asleep in the bath. And I didn't just sort of go drowsy in the bath. I mean, I absolutely passed out for probably half an hour. Jesus. I mean, my bath is so hot, you could poach a chicken in one. And by the time I woke up, the water was cold. But that's completely terrifying, Annabelle. Well, it's depressing for so many reasons. Firstly, because it's like proper old codger territory. <laughs> oh, God. And secondly, because it's actually dangerous. Like, really So my dangerous. insomnia is going to kill me. Not just because of all those awful newspaper articles you read going, how to, how, you know, how to be healthier, how to extend your life, make sure you get seven hours of sleep a night. Well, how? Well, not, I'm now so exhausted that I'm risking my life by having a bath. God, it's the front line of, I know. of life right now, isn't it? I, know. I can't believe it. Well, I'm How Emily. Well, I'm Emily, and I'm absolutely fine. But I opened my knicker drawer this morning, and I just thought I don't have any new knickers. In fact, <laughs> all my knickers are really old, saggy, and baggy. And I don't know if I mind. That's you the know, thing about these things. Usually, right? usually we, we're in a kind of knicker cycle, aren't we? Where you've got knickers, you know, that are sort of 15 years old. Then you've got new ones, which are probably just a multi-pack that are 18 months old, but yes. their elastic is in, still in some <laughs> way functional. And not grey or whatever. And they're not grey. But actually, you've, you've given up on your knicker game, haven't you? I have, slightly. And I had a rootle around, and I thought, I've got knickers in my drawer that are at least 13, 14 years old years old is that okay no <laughs> Steph is shocked I no I've I've literally me, me and my partner we did a cull of old knickers recently which was quite hard but I was like how can we possibly have some knickers here that we've had forever but how were the, how, and old I'm were the, mid. how old were the oldest knickers that oh, you had God. 
Le- Probably five years would oh, be my max, is he, I think. Because she's a classy lady. <laughs> she's so classy. Okay, this is our classy guest. There was a time, there was a time in our lives, wasn't there, and when you would always have, like, a pair of sexy knickers in case you needed them. Yeah. And now, mm-mm. No, I do have that pair of sexy knickers, and it's a pair of agent profonde knickers that honestly would, would probably only go up my thigh now and cover, yes. like, Hang off your little toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god but don't you think when you buy new knickers though the only problem with this theory i have is that i then don't wear them for ages because i think i'm going to keep them for good yes save them for like best the sexy knickers yes. i'm like i'm going to keep them for good i'll just go back to my haggard looking ones for now <laughs> and also the thing about sexy knickers is in, is that proper sexy knickers are in no way suitable for living your life and being out in the no. world because they just don't work in a practical way so you know now that we're all grown-up women there's no occasion to really wear them but also now that we are all in elastic catered trousers not so much our guest who i will introduce in a second i promise but we're in the flow now so cart before the horse yes knickers before the introduction (laughs) always just talk about knickers but um is that you know when you're wearing elasticated like you know, sort of tracksuit bottoms all the time. You can't really have lacy knickers underneath. But you know, imagine you? having a pair of sort of French made monstrosity <laughs> fluffy things underneath that. You'd yeah. look really bizarre like you're wearing a nappy. Yeah. Have you never had that time though where you run out of your usual knickers and you have to wear the sexy ones and then you're just constantly picking them out of your ass for the whole <laughs> once rest in a blue the <laughs> once in a blue moon when I'm behind on the laundry, I'll suddenly think, fucking hell, I'm gonna have to wear a G string today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get out the pseudocrem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right prepare dial a thrush let's go anyway there's no more time for knickers because we have a force of nature in our midst now maybe you started needle pointing during lockdown or baked a dodgy sourdough loaf or two but if you're steph mcgovern you started a whole television show from your front room i mean stop it <laughs> and had a baby anyway moving on in fact steph's packed lunch was just nominated for a bafta Hooray! <laughs> by the way she finished recording today's show 15 minutes ago and now she is here i mean Come on, talk about powerhouse. Hello, Steph. How are you? (laughs) I am absolutely fine, but I am sleep deprived, (laughs) mainly because of so many of us do trying to juggle having a child and a job. I mean, the struggle is real. (laughs) The juggle is real. It It is a nightmare. And how bad is your sleep? Well, I, I I don't know about you, but my obviously your priorities change, don't they, when you have a kid, and there and the things you worry about change. So now I find it quite hard to get to sleep at night when I can because I'm constantly thinking something catastrophic is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you really believe that there's a lion at the mouth of the cave and that you have to yeah. stay, you have to keep one eye open in case it yeah. pounces. Yeah, totally. And because, you know, we've all been through those times where you have the fears where they're awake all the time and then they sleep for a bit, then they start nursery and they come back with every bug known to man. <laughs> and then... Then they keep you up again and you just like, you don't know which night you're ever going to get, do you, when you go to bed? You just know, you don't know what it's going to be that night. So therefore, when I'm about to go to sleep, I'm just like, right, this is going to be the night she wakes up at 12. So how am I going to manage it? And then before you know it, it's 12 because I've been sat thinking, how am I going to manage it for the next Or, <laughs> Or you've gone to sleep and then you wake up at 12 thinking she's not screaming 
Is she breathing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, am I right in thinking that you got sort of a version of night terrors during lockdown yeah, when your baby did, was very yeah. small? What happened? Yeah. So I, yeah, these are something I've had all my life, actually, which I think is how, like, stress manifests in me. So it manifests in two ways, night terrors and IBS. But the night terror stuff is, um, I think it partly comes from my job of I interview people where extreme things have happened to them, you know, like extreme tragedy or, you know, horrific diseases or whatever else and therefore I've got all the worst case scenarios of everything in my head and so at night I just imagine mad things happening and I've woken up in different rooms or I've woken up like you know it's believing something that isn't there and and it it does kind of you know kind of go through a peaks and troughs depending on what's going on in my life so when I have my little girl it was off the scale. Like I was convinced that she was not going to be alive every time I looked in the cot or, you know, the house was going to catch fire. Like I wouldn't let my partner put the dishwasher on at night because I'd interviewed someone who's, um, when I was doing Watchdog, whose dishwasher to, washer had set the house on fire in the night. Thank and you so, for like, telling you know, me that. I, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm really sorry. But it's, that's it's it. Enough. God, that's rude. But also, even, I mean, that's not only going to disrupt your sleep, is it? It's going to disrupt, I mean, your subconscious is clearly a sort of, you know, yeah. a sort of pulsating jungle of, of, of madness. And so, I mean, as yeah. all of us are, but if it rises to the surface, it's going to disrupt your emotional life throughout the day, presumably. Yeah, well, weirdly or not, I, I, I think this is the thing with night terrors. They don't then impact your day. So I don't then necessarily catastrophize during the day. I just get on with my job and I'm quite good at being distracted. And I don't worry about my daughter all day while I'm at work. I quite easily forget about her, to be honest. Uh, but it's just when I'm back in that kind of... I, I'm better in a mad, busy phase than I am in a rested position then I just start thinking the worst so I mean it's a bit like you know some people say that you're meant to have a worry window in the day where you're allowed to for 20 minutes worry about everything literally think about Uh, worst case scenario about everything and maybe you do that when you're asleep yeah and then it's sort of dealt with yeah maybe yeah so is that part of the reason that you started this show during lockdown because you needed some busy well, do you know, it's funny you should say that because all of my mates were like, there's no way you're going to do maternity leave and all this. And I was like, no, no, I am. I'm going to really take my time. And, you know, then Channel 4 approached me about doing a show and from Leeds. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. But still, it wasn't going to launch until my daughter would have been about eight months or something. And then they said, when the pandemic hit, listen, this is probably not going to be able to launch then because we can't get the studio finished. And I was like, <gasps> I want to be part of this though still, I still want to do something. Let's do it from my house. And I, I you know, I'm very, I'm very private. I don't, you, you know, you wouldn't see my uh, spreads in my kitchen in OK Magazine, mainly because it's a mess. But I, you know, I don't, I, I don't do all that. And I don't, you know, talk about who my partner or child are because I just want them to be private. So it's quite weird for me to do that, to say, let's do it from my house. But it's because everyone was having to work in a different way suddenly everyone was broadcasting from their home. Okay, slightly different. I was doing it on national telly. But we were all doing Zooms or Microsoft Teams or whatever it was. And everyone was suddenly being invited into your home. Your boss was suddenly seeing your wallpaper and your bookshelf. All of us thought about what our backdrop would be on meetings. And so I kind of wanted to be part of that. I didn't want to miss you know, being part of like the people trying to give you a bit of a laugh for an hour every day at lunchtime. So, and I I love the kind of thrill of 
that can we do it or not are, are we actually going to stay on air is my internet connection <laughs> going to let us broadcast because we were relying on my just home internet to <laughs> broadcast the show so it was like you know and who's going to knock on the door or whatever else? Um, not many people in a lockdown, obviously. But, <laughs> no, but um, lots of DVD drivers or yeah, exactly. those, all those yodel bastards or whoever, yeah. like just chucking stuff out at you. Exactly. Yeah. How funny. I love the idea that you were so absolutely sure that you couldn't do maternity leave, that you'd invite an entire like broad nation. To you invite the nation into your like, front room. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I know. But I, I do think that I agree. I think that the whole new way of working is so fantastic. And for a broadcaster, that's a veteran broadcaster like you must have been so exciting to kind of like try all the new ways and uh and and to kind of get it done yeah 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 it was and that was the thing like we there was nobody else doing it like to begin with there wasn't anyone else doing a live show every day like people were doing pre-recorded stuff from their home but there there wasn't like a live show for that long with that format there was news people started doing news from home and things so that was dead exciting and you know it was great because then the publicity was I was part of like lots of different magazine interviews about it and then that was all really good for the show so and it also was a really good way of trying stuff out because Channel 4 hadn't had a live lunchtime show on weekdays for, I, don't, I think it's something like 20 years, mm. which was Mel and Sue's Light Lunch. Yes, I should say, before we started recording, we were saying, well, we used to be huge fans of Mel and Sue's Light Lunch, and Steph was saying it was kind of an, an inspiration. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah totally. we used to watch it at university, so I can't believe it's 20 years old. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're clearly a hopeless adrenaline junkie. I mean, I can't believe that you, yeah. t- that you took that on. And so it's 100 minutes Every day, five days a week. Yeah. And the thing that, that, that astounded Emily and me was that it's news responsive. So you can in no way really sit on your laurels and just discuss flower arranging, can you? No, I mean, we do do a bit of that, though. <laughs> so, like, you know, we'll have Linda Barker in doing the dried flower craft displays or whatever. Um, but I think the, the good thing is it's the light and shade. So what we've created is like a family of people because it's not all about me, yeah, my name's on it, but for me, it's about the people who are in the room with me. So we've got a family of former politicians, uh, you know, current presenters, comedians, that type of thing. And then we have the the gang that we call the lunch mates, who are our, you know, also part of the family who who have got normal jobs as well. And, um, and they will come in and be part of the show. And so it's just created this place where we can we can respond to things because we've all got different views on stuff but it's very inclusive like i don't want people arguing on the show I, yeah make your point but do, I, I don't i hate that where people are butted up against each other are you the yes are you the no right we want five minutes of you having a go at each other I'm yes, and rather. when the producers are producing them to be combative, yeah. right? And so yeah. what you have is what, like, you know, really the ideal Sunday lunch. Where you've got a family, different ages, different yeah. everything, uh, yeah, you know, actually being nice to each other by having a conversation. I mean, but also yeah. you and get what... a good vox pop, don't you? And, and, and sort of that sort of collaborative conversation that helps to kind of sort of get the sort of temperature of the nation, yeah. but at the same time, all the different views, but show that you can hold all these opinions at the yeah. same time, right? I mean, surely yeah. that's got to be the way forward because I, I feel like we're in, so, I mean, in the world right now, she says, grandly in her saggy knickers, there's so much um, <laughs> that everybody has to, can only hold one position at once. And you can't yes. change your mind. And you can't change your mind. And you just yeah. think, oh my God, it's absolutely exhausting. And of course, nothing can move forward if we all stick to our, you know. Yeah. And that, that I liken us to a, like a dysfunctional family. <laughs> like you're not going to necessarily like all of us. 
but you will find your person that who you're a bit like out of all of us because it's such a mix. And then, you know, for example, if we're talking about something like a footballer coming out as being gay, so on our in our group of people, we've got a boxer in the family, Carl Frampton, talking about how difficult it is to come out in boxing if you're gay. John Waite, who's part of the family, who was the first male gay couple on Strictly. We've got, um, you know, some of our lunch mates about how in their community and their culture, they've, you know, the opposition the first... And then we've got like Baroness Saida Varsi, who voted against uh, gay marriage and things back in the day and now has apologised for all of that. And, you know, we're like everyone is a melting pot and we can be annoyed at Saida for voting against it. But equally, she's now learnt from us and learnt from her life experiences. And that is okay for her to change her mind. And that I think you're right. I think it's unless you've done some heinous crimes, Mm. I think people should be allowed to intellectually like change their opinion yeah, about things as you learn more. It's yeah. not just okay for her to change her mind. It's brilliant that she's yes. changed her yeah. mind. And it's something that should sort of be applauded, you know. So in yeah. a way, you know, it's, it, there's tolerance, isn't there, operating? Yeah, across. yeah, there is. And and we all learn from each other because Syed is Muslim. She's taught us about loads of things that have been misconstrued in her community about how women are treated and things like that. So it's a learning curve for all of us, which is nice, but mainly we have a laugh as well. Like we're not taking ourselves too seriously. So Can we just talk a little bit about your, your journey? My journey. <laughs> your incredible from journey. Where to where? <laughs> well, this is the thing. From from <laughs> from an Irish dancing engineer who did yeah. work experience on Tomorrow's World. Through to the uh, you know a, a senior business correspondent at the BBC, through to your own show. I mean, yeah, that's quite multicoloured, isn't it? And also, yeah. um, and also, just um, I remember reading. I think this was a while ago. I mean, I could say five years, but it could be any point from you know between yesterday and twenty five years ago. You talking about what it was like to be on telly with a northern accent? Mm, yeah, yeah, and then that's the thing that still comes up a lot, annoyingly, because you think we would have moved on just as much as you would hope. A footballer coming out as gay wouldn't be a shock. I know. Um, well done, lad, but, by the way, don't you think? Yeah, I know. I'm 17 and so brave. So brave. Yeah, anyway. I know. Yeah, he's an amazing lad, Jake. Yeah, I mean, so I suppose to give the context to, to me, I'm an only child and I think I have always been someone who has wanted to please everyone and have a go at everything. I would say I'm quite a risk taker and I grew up in an environment, like particularly at my school, where it was a tough tough place but you know it was a real mix of backgrounds in my in my class and things but we were all taught that no one is better than you no one is worse than you either but no one's better than you and there's no nothing you can't achieve in terms of you know yeah okay you might not win the x factor if you can't sing but you might be the producer of the x factor and there's nothing to stop you being that or you you know if you're not a great footballer but you might be the chief exec of the club so we were really like had our minds broadened to like the possibilities of careers and things And I think that is what's got me where I am. There was a real connection between our school and industry and jobs because it was full of kids from like really tough homes. And was this Middlesbrough? Um, Yeah, this is Middlesbrough. So I think, and if you look at the people I grew up with, they've all done really well for themselves. And I think that's because we were given this confidence that often, you you know, you're not given um, in schools. Not, Not all schools, there's loads of schools that do do that. But I mean, particularly if you're in a, tough part of deprived area you can sometimes feel like there isn't the ambition there so the school just really like pushed me into loads of things so I was forever entering competitions like engineering competitions winning little holidays to Spain and because we were the poor kids 
we were always had money thrown at us through different schemes. Like I remember winning something where I had to go around to this rich person's house in Murder Vale and um, be introduced to them as, oh, look, you know, I had to meet this bloke's kids because he just paid for me to do this big um, university thing. And I had to meet these kids and they were like, you know, look, these are the type of people we help. <laughs> and I remember sitting there howling, thinking, God, you think I've had a really hard life and I haven't. I've had an amazing life. I don't have servants, but I don't need them. <laughs> and so, I love so the idea that you were like wheeled out like, here you go. Yeah, this yeah. Is, this it was so a, funny. This is what a poor kid looks like. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. Then wheel back to me. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. My God. Yeah, but he wasn't being <laughs> like, it, it taught me a lot about ignorance as well, yeah. though, I think. And that's, you know, set me well in my career when I've had to interview politicians <laughs> and things like that. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so but at my school was all into industry and I was really into engineering. I saw there was a lot of uh, openings for women in engineering because they were desperate to get more in and there was a lot of money and scholarships and schemes and so I went for all of them and, and I loved it. And then I got asked to go and be a guest on a show for the BBC because I'd just won a big award um, to go and talk about being a woman in science and engineering and I just loved it. I was in the BBC building and I was like, oh my God, I want to work here. Like, what, this is where live and kicking comes from. This is where they do children and me. Yes. Like, oh, my God. So, that, so that's it. I, I, and then I just, you know, worked my way through the ranks. I started off answering the phones at the BBC while I was kind of still doing the engineering stuff and and then just, you know, went went as a researcher and a producer and, and then got asked to try out on the radio and that went well and then ended up on the telly. So, yeah, I think it's just I've, every opportunity that's been thrown at me, I've literally just gone, yeah, OK, I'm going to I'm going to have a go, even though sometimes I've been really nervous about it and it's quite intimidating. But I mean, you know, the, the stress of producing this show five days a week how how do you cope with that do you get anxiety do you yeah well I think you know coming back to what I was saying earlier I, I, it does manifest in two ways and it, one is the sleep stuff but also like IBS like I've struggled with IBS most of my life and it's only like recently that I've managed to in the last kind of 18 months that I've managed to get on top of it so I would have it where I would be have massive stomach cramps and then have to leg it to the loo and you know there have been times where I've literally nearly shit myself on telly <laughs> yeah and so I've and you know that's that's always just something and I do you know it's weird I've talked to so many people since I've been open about it so many people tell me that they have that as well and you just would never guess it so like and I ended up doing a program with Hugh Fernie Whittenstall about gut health and I got my Sorry, this is really a lot. But I got like my poo analyzed. No, 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 it's fascinating. And, one in five um, people have IBS or something. Yeah, I mean, one in five have Yes, yeah. and you don't realize A, how painful it is, and B, how scary it is. That yeah. You might yeah. have an actual disaster. Yeah. Oh, honestly, there are so many times when I've lit, I've really panicked. But I. Um, what did your poo yeah, have so, to say? <laughs> yeah, so my poo, this is terrible. My poo came back and it was in the worst third of the population in terms of my diversity of my poo so basically I was like I had very little bacteria like good healthy gut stuff in there so I was like oh my god this is what am I going to do about it and so I, I basically just 
changed my routine in a way that's made a huge difference so for example one of the things i do and one of the people i work with now is simproof they have like a gut friendly little shot that you do in the morning and it's just full of like good bacteria so that helps with the diversity in your gut health and so i have that but i also um do intermittent fasting as well where i'll only have um food between 11 a.m and 7 p.m now you can do it whatever time works for you but basically you only eat for eight hours a day and then the rest of the time and i do that five days a week weekends out the window i mean weekends that's, that's, normal, that's a diet pizza, hack as well isn't it when you yeah. say yeah. when you say into, do you mean can only eat you don't eat all day no you, you eat, eat for eight <laughs> hours and you don't eat for 16 but yeah you, but you only eat in between those hours yes. you don't eat like, yeah I don't hours. permanently graze <laughs> yes, whilst exactly. on telly. <laughs> I'm just like, I was going to say, because yeah. I've definitely watched you on television and you're you not eating. Could definitely, <laughs> you could definitely eat yeah. bread for eight hours solid. I could definitely graze for eight hours solid. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that would be my... Anyway, sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's so that and that, I honestly, like, it's it's really interesting because I, so I'm, I'm always a bit like, oh, I think I've just got a bit of IBS and, you know, it's onions, it's this, it's that. I've always blamed other things. And then from doing the Simprove and doing the intermittent fasting, and then I've tried to put more things in my diet like kimchi and sauerkraut, which are all a bit random and a bit weird to get used to, and kombucha, those types of things, just incorporating them a bit into my diet has made like such a massive difference to the point now where... I very rarely get IBS now, like, uh, you know, because my gut health is so much better. I've had it analysed since and I'm now in the top third of the population. Congratulations. (laughs) And now the bloating's gone as well. So loads of people have been saying to me, how have you lost weight? What's happening with your weight? I honestly haven't been trying to lose weight because, I, you know, yes, of course, I, I think about weight, but that wasn't the reason for this. It was the absolutely how debilitating it was having IBS and how bad it had got, particularly after having had my baby, because I'd got my gut health a bit better before I was pregnant and then pregnancy totally threw it out the window because I had such bad pregnancy sickness. So then when I had her and I was starting again, it was just terrible. And I thought, I can't do a live show where I'm halfway through an interview thinking... I might have to run out and go to the loo because mm. that is what what would happen to me. I'd be like absolutely like clenching my butt cheeks together. To, um, but it, but to, sometimes you really have to be pushed to the point where disaster is very possible before yeah. you do anything, don't you? Because we find ourselves getting completely resigned to these chronic conditions that are painful, and whether yeah. it's IBS, whether it's insomnia, whether it's menopause, and you just think, you know, oh well, because you're so ground down by yeah. it that yeah, you don't totally. you don't make these changes, these relatively small changes that you've made that yeah. have made this phenomenal difference. Because they are sustainable as well, because I have been one of those people in the past who's gone, right, it's the flipping TV awards coming up. I'm just going to eat dust for three weeks or whatever. And it's that, none of that is sustainable. But this has been because I've just adapted it into my life and it's nothing major. I still, you know, I still drink wine at the weekends. I still, and occasionally during the week. And I, uh, <laughs> and I you know, I still, I don't, I'm not like eating just salads all day every day or anything I'm still because you know I get to eat all the lovely food on the show today it was like a passion fruit cake that John had made but I just know today I'll stop eating at 7 p.m and I won't start again until 11 a.m and I'll have my little shots improve I'll wait 10 minutes and then I'll have my you know whatever it is that I'm going to have my little chicken teriyaki ball yeah but funnily enough I don't drink tea or coffee which I think you're a 
know that. Drinks you, people you, out. You're meant to drink tea with every meal. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm a, I'm a, the black sheep of the family, I think. <laughs> Do they actually speak to you? Yes, no. no. <laughs> well, but, I'll be um, speaking to you now because, I mean... Uh, fucking BAFTA stuff oh I know honestly do you know when I got that email to say I'd been nominated I, honestly I was on the train and weirdly I was just coming back from the Royal Television Society Awards where we'd been up for one there and I was already hung over and thinking <laughs> wow my life's amazing and then I got this email and I was like no that's what's it is this bifter bufter <laughs> what's this and then I rang and our exec and was like is this uh, what is this and then we're like, BAFTA! <laughs> and I was like, oh, because, you know, when we started out as well, like, I mean, we are the underdogs. And when we started out, we got so much like, oh, you know, why are Channel 4 doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then Did you, what, like, were they, what were they saying? Did they think that it wasn't, you know, appropriate for Channel 4? Did they think it was a saturated time slot? No, or what I were the objections? It was, it's just when you first launch a new show, inevitably, you're breaking into, particularly in daytime, you're breaking into a market that has been the same for 25 years. So you're like trying to slowly chip away at it. And the great thing, Channel 4, were like, this is going to take a while to like get where we need it to be. We're going to give you that time. But at the beginning, don't panic when people say whatever about viewing figures or whatever else. It's like, just hold your nerve and don't look at it and carry on. So that that's what was great. I mean, it's interesting having been a BBC correspondent that you have gone from having these um, difficult and complicated discussions with, you know, difficult and complicated people to applying that experience to um, a different kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah, and I think, well, you, your conversations just evolve through life anyway, don't they? Like, as adults, you 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 just, you know, how I've changed over the last decade, my conversations have changed naturally anyway. And I feel like I, um, I listen a lot more now than I ever would in the past. And I'm not fighting for, like, news lines like I was in the past. Now I'm taking my time to go, okay... Tell me what you think about these things. I'm not going to chip in with it. Well, what are you doing? Which I perhaps would have done in the past to try and get that news line that then, you know, ends up in the papers or whatever else. But now it's more like more considered, which is a really nice place to be at. And I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I enjoy the interviews a lot more because I, I feel like I'm just genuinely asking the questions I'd want to ask and that I think the listeners and viewers might want to ask as well. Wisdom, Steph. You're becoming a grand dame of national television. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> which is why I'm here I for want, now. <laughs> which is why I want to ask you about Irish dancing. Oh, yeah. Because I love that. Is that something yeah. you did as a child? Because we were yeah. watching a clip earlier of you doing kind I of know, sensational it, it Irish was dancing on telly. Thank you. Yeah, it's one of those... Loads of people have asked me whether my head's been CGI'd <laughs> onto uh, that body. But it is genuinely my legs. No, I did it again, you know, as an only child. I was just into everything. And um, Irish dancing was just something that really caught my attention as a kid and it was before river dance actually in lords of the dance so it wasn't popular it was a bit weird but i just loved it and i turned out because i've got quite loose ankles who knew that's a good thing is it <laughs> yeah good... it is yeah but like, like loose morals yeah, yeah. or you flap your feet around and your funny loose yeah. <laughs> ankles um so i i loved it and actually again that taught me a lot about it's weird in dancing there there, there isn't the class divides in many other sectors because I never knew what any of the kids I was competing against parents did or whether they had money or not. Like it was irrelevant or whether the dance, what jobs the dance teachers had and things because it was just all about this bubble of who's a good dancer or not, which was great because then I was meeting people from all over the world 
who are dancing and and weirdly you know like some of them are now in my life in other ways so one of the makeup artists was someone I used to compete against when I was a kid just dancing but she's from Manchester and obviously I'm from Middlesbrough but we were in the same age group so there's just random stuff like that or like Angela Scanlon the presenter her and I we've worked out must have competed against each other at some <laughs> point so in dancing funny. it's are like a sort be... of Illuminati maybe yeah, a secret yeah. ring of Irish dance yeah. 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 you have like a, you don't have a handshake you have a foot shake or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. secretly like radicalising us all to become yeah. Irish dancers yeah. through the screen <laughs> yeah does, we are does that mean That'd you're going to do Strictly I don't and I'll never say never to Strictly but I it's definitely not the right time at the moment because if I do it I'd want to absolutely throw myself into it and I think having a little toddler is not the time because I'd miss her too much and I'd I'd be like then you know halfy halfy feeling like I'm not being a good enough mum and I'm not being a good enough dancer and I've still got my show to do every day so I'm not saying I won't do it but in the times I've been asked so far it's just not been right with either being pregnant or having a little bit just you know yeah you wouldn't want to do it pregnant no I don't think you'd be allowed either <laughs> pregnant yeah. with IVF. I know, so yeah. literally anything yeah. could happen. Yeah. Projectile vomiting and shitting herself during a salsa. <laughs> and on that note, Steph, thank you so much for coming to talk to us thank because you. you've really cheered us up. It's what a joy. Thank you so much. Oh, no, lovely oh, to talk to you. Thanks for oh, having thanks, me. Steph. Bye. Bye. This podcast was bravely brought to you by Simprove. You can sign up for a 12-week introductory program and here's your code for a 15% discount, middle 15 at simprove.com. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middalt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hold up. 